0: Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and today we're talking about fat transfer, also known as fat grafting. We'll go over the many uses it has and whether it's a worthwhile procedure. We'll also discuss what to expect afterwards, and we'll finish with some surprising benefits of fat transfer. As well as interesting possibilities for the future. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and my opinion. It is not intended to give formal medical advice, but instead you can use it to gain insight, whether you are planning a procedure or you're just curious. So settle in for a listen and enjoy. Often in our society, we think of body fat as something undesirable that we have to control or manage. And many times we'd love to just get rid of it if we could. Well, after listening to this episode, you may come around to the plastic surgeon's way of thinking about fat as liquid gold. And no, I don't mean because there is plenty of demand for liposuction out there, so it's good for business. What I'm getting at is the versatility and untold power of fat. By the way, there is a whole podcast episode dedicated to liposuction of unwanted fat. And if you are interested in that, it's episode number two. But for our purposes here, we want to focus on rearranging and repurposing fat, so first let's review what fat is and what fat does. Human fat, also known as adipose, is a specialized type of tissue in our bodies that on a metabolic level serves as both an energy storage mechanism and an energy source when needed. In addition, Structurally, fat serves to cushion various areas of the body as well as to insulate and keep us warm, including our vital organs. It has psychological and social benefits as well. Fat helps provide a youthful and healthy appearance, which biologically can be important in reproduction and attracting a mate, among other things. Some of this may be common knowledge, however, you may be surprised to hear that also residing within adipose tissue are helpful hormones and growth factors. And, fat has an abundant collection of a specific type of stem cells, which are capable of generating and repairing some of our tissues. All of these things can aid in cell rejuvenation. Given this abundance of benefits, couldn't we make good use of fat somehow? Well, that's where fat transfer comes into play. By the way, fat transfer is also referred to as fat grafting, fat injection, and lipofilling, so I may use these terms interchangeably today. Yes, fat transfer. What is it? Essentially, it's fat redistribution. It involves removing some fat from one area where there's an abundance and it's less desired, then sterilely washing it and concentrating it outside the body and injecting it back into a new area where it can be of benefit. That benefit could be cosmetic or reconstructive in nature. If you think about it, it's the ultimate in conservation. Talk about being green. Fat grafting can be used to adjust contours, embellish or remodel an area, or even camouflage imperfections and fill in defects. Statistics show that it has continued to increase in popularity, so let's go over some of the more common areas of the body where it has been utilized. First up is the face. Fat injections can be used to help with hollow or sagging areas that may be either from age or from medical problems. Essentially, any place that a filler could be placed fat can be placed. And by the way, episode number 11 is dedicated to injectable fillers if you're interested in learning more about those. So yes, fat could be considered another type of filler, only it is more permanent when it survives. More on injected fat survival expectations in a little bit. Again, just like filler, fat injected into certain areas of the face can provide a more youthful appearance to cheeks and fill in any grooves or depressions that have occurred, especially that crease from the corner of the nose to the outside of the lips. And while we're speaking of it, fat can even be used to plump up those lips. It's also interesting to know that fat can help recontour the face somewhat. It may restore fullness to sunken eyes, camouflage a receding chin somewhat, or help improve the outline of the nose and it can be a nice addition when performed in conjunction with a facelift, enhancing the results even further. Additionally, injective fat can help improve facial asymmetry, whether from an injury, a medical disease, or even a congenital condition. Another increasingly popular area where fat grafting can be utilized is the breast. This could be for breast augmentation, just to enlarge the breast for aesthetic reasons, or it could be for reconstructive purposes, such as to restore a volume deficit in a congenital breast asymmetry or a volume loss after lumpectomy or mastectomy for cancer. In fact, plastic surgeons use fat grafting quite a bit in the course of breast reconstruction, as it can help smooth out the junction from reconstructed tissue to the rest of the body, particularly if there was a noticeable demarcation line around an implant, etc. Next, another area that has gained popularity has been the buttock region. You may have heard about the Brazilian butt lift. Well, essentially it's fat transferred to lift and augment the buttocks. By the way, there's a whole episode you can listen to dedicated to buttock enhancement, and that's episode number 16. But beyond these more common areas, fat transfer can be used almost anywhere in the body, even under scars which have become depressed or tethered down, creating a contour defect. Fat-grafting can help in hand rejuvenation to cosmetically make the hand look less bony and aged. Fat could also be used to pad areas of the body that are painful and do not have enough cushion, such as heels or hips. And it's also been used to round out areas important in gender affirmation. Frankly, the limits for use of fat transfer have not yet been found. The key to success in fat-grafting, however, is its survival rate. Unlike filler that is injected into the face and eventually goes away, the fat may actually last where it has been injected. But it is living tissue, so it has to establish good blood supply in its new home, or it will die, liquefy, and be cleared away by the body's housekeeping system. If that happens, then you lose the nice new plumped-up area. It's estimated that on average, a reasonably good fat transfer session will result in 50 to 80 percent of the fat taking, meaning surviving. That means about 20 to 50 percent of it may be resorbed. Because we know this, it is not uncommon for areas to be overfilled by a surgeon in anticipation, and it's also not uncommon for repeat sessions to be needed until the desired permanent level of correction has been achieved. Some surgeons try to enhance the percentage of fat survival by adding concentrations of growth factors in stem cells that have been collected with the fat with varying rates of success. But in general, The percent of fat survival depends on many variables, including the harvest or donor location on the body, how the fat is processed, the health of the area receiving the fat, the overall health of the patient, and even the skill and experience level of the surgeon. Overall health problems, and particularly a smoking history, can greatly reduce the percentage of fat that will take or survive. Historically, the first documented fat grafting procedures were done in the late 1800s using what could be considered less sophisticated methods with mixed results. Despite looking good right after the procedure, not much of the fat stuck around and survived. These methods were later embellished upon in the decades after, but it really wasn't until the 1990s when Dr. Sidney Coleman started publishing some consistent, reasonable results using his specific techniques for fat transfer, and the plastic surgery world took notice. So how is it done nowadays? Well, there are three steps to the procedure. The first is harvest of the fat to be used. Again, this is typically from an area where there is either unwanted or excess fat. The most common donor regions happen to be the abdomen and the thighs. Mechanical liposuction can be used for this harvest, or sometimes just suction syringes without a machine will be used to acquire the fat, particularly if only smaller amounts are needed. The second step is processing the fat. It needs to be concentrated and converted to purely fat cells since the harvested fat will include not only the tiny adipose cells, but also fluid, and it may possibly even be tinged with a little bit of blood. We are looking for nice, concentrated, healthy fat cells, so the fat can either be washed and decanted, or a centrifuge can be used, kind of like a salad spinner times 100, in order to separate the fat from the fluid and concentrate the fat cells. Yep, this is the liquid gold. But all of this needs to be done as gently as possible to minimize damage to the cells during the processing. The last step is injection of the concentrated fat. Remember that the fat needs good blood supply in its new home in order to thrive and survive. That means you can't have too much of it clumped all in one spot, as there won't be enough surface area or exposure to surrounding good healthy tissue to help restore blood supply. We want the fat layered in place so it can be surrounded by nourishing tissue that will support it until it becomes incorporated after a while. As a result, the fat which has been packed into syringes will be injected in aliquots or long thin strips within the new area. The whole fat crafting procedure can be done as an outpatient in an operating room with some type of anesthesia, or if smaller areas are being treated, it can be done in an office setting under a local anesthetic. The fat typically stays where it's been injected unless too much pressure is placed upon it afterwards. We do want a little bit of mild pressure in the dressing, however, to help minimize bleeding, etc. Length of recovery generally depends on the size of the area involved, but typically it's not too bad in the scheme of things. Incisions are quite small, so they heal pretty quickly. There will be some swelling and bruising, of course. You'd want to avoid exertional activity for at least a few days to a couple of weeks, But best advice comes directly from your individual surgeon and will be based on the extent of the procedure. The swelling is worse for the first few days, with a lesser amount of swelling perhaps lingering for a fair time afterwards, possibly even a couple of months. But again, this is not as noticeable as the initial swelling. And it may actually take this couple of months to see how much of the fat will actually take. The portion of fat that survives is typically permanent. Now, of course, any procedure, regardless of the extent, will have risks, and fat transfer is no exception to that. These risks could include bleeding or infection, irregular contour, which might be temporary if the area was overfilled, or scarring, though this is usually not that much of a problem given the small size of the incisions. Sometimes there can be a phenomenon called fat necrosis, which means some of the fat dies, but it is not cleared away by the body very well. It can become firm and uncomfortable. A more serious complication could be something called a fat embolism, which means a small piece of fat can inadvertently enter a torn blood vessel and block blood flow, causing serious tissue damage. For facial fat transfer, the use of a blunt injection needle rather than a sharp one has helped reduce this risk. Butt augmentation, however, has had some serious life-threatening risks associated with it in the past related to fat embolism thought to be caused by a combination of inherent anatomic features and some older surgical techniques. As a result, recommendations for surgeons' standard technique have been significantly modified to help minimize this risk as best as possible. To finish out the risk portion of our discussion, I do also want to mention a couple of other issues. There is such a thing as too much fat being injected into an area, particularly in the face. Remember that the face is dynamic. You can have a beautifully sculpted aesthetic result that looks great at rest, but when the face moves and animates, any areas which have too much fat can move awkwardly and frankly just look funny or overdone. This can happen with standard filler, by the way, as well. And one other thing to mention, I did say earlier that the fat which has survived is typically considered permanent in its new home. But that does not mean it will not be affected by weight gain or weight loss. Just like regular fat in other areas of our body, any transferred fat can increase or decrease in size with weight fluctuation. So that's good incentive to try to maintain your weight as best as possible. Some people wonder if fat injections of the face for cosmetic reasons are worth it, as opposed to regular filler options. With fat, you've got the little bit of increased downtime from the donor site and some of the risks we just discussed and the expense of it. But the lure of permanency can be great, especially for those who have repeatedly used fillers for maintenance. When compared to the cost of repeated non-permanent fillers over years, fat grafting could end up being cheaper in the long run. Also, with the nice idea of repurposing your own body's tissues and reducing a little bit of unwanted fat from elsewhere, you can see the potential benefits of fat grafting. Some proponents say, what's not to love? The bottom line is, of course, that a frank discussion with your plastic surgeon who has the knowledge and experience to help weigh out the best decision is the most important thing. But at least now, if you ever do consider fat crafting, you will be armed with good information which will hopefully carry you far. You've learned about some of the pros and cons of this procedure and about the many instances, both cosmetic and reconstructive, where fat transfer can be of great benefit. And interestingly, there's an extra bonus to healthy fat being transferred into a new area that is in need, besides just plumping it up. Remember the growth factor in stem cell concentrations in fat that I mentioned? Research is still ongoing, but studies have suggested that these extra components in the collected fat may have regenerative effects on collagen and may be instrumental in tissue rejuvenation which can be of great help when a fat is injected under scarred skin that has been damaged by radiation such as in breast cancer, or skin with changes from autoimmune disease, or, of course, skin with everyday changes from aging. Some researchers are even looking into just isolating and concentrating these additional components and using them on their own without the fat cells to boost rejuvenating effects in areas where additional volume is not needed. The ongoing discovery of the benefits and power of fat are really opening up a whole new world. It's like we're just at the tip of the iceberg with exciting future possibilities ahead. Stay tuned. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something, too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.